Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uneducated Rugby Podcast with me, Karen Harris. Uh, we're lucky enough to be joined by a friend of the pod, Murray Anderson, Blissful of Rugby HQ uh, from the Rugby Connection Podcast and a special guest this week, Tim Groves from Le French Rugby Podcast. I, I wasn't sure whether to say Le French Rugby Podcast and give it all a French accent or, <laughs> you know, um, j- just a bit about yourself, Tim. How did you get involved in, in doing that podcast? Um. I've been working in rugby and in the media for for quite a while and I sort of worked with Benji and Johnny before and um, it was Johnny's idea really, to be honest, he came up with that and um, we linked with the Rugby Pass and I'd, I'd done a bit of work with the Rugby Pod and various other different ventures. I do a lot of work with BT Sport, ITV, uh, so I kind of knew them both and um, just got on board and it's a, it's a niche podcast but it's uh, it's doing pretty well and... Um, it's a good time to be involved in French rugby, it's fair to say. Yeah, I, I can I can safely say it's definitely an easy time to be talking about French rugby, you know, for, for Benjamin especially as a as a French fan. I think he enjoyed <laughs> I was listening to last week's podcast and I think he enjoyed that one a lot more than Johnny did as a Scotland fan. Um Murray, you were there two weeks ago for Scotland France. How how did you find that experience of watching the French at their very best? It was like I was in Paris. Like the French fans are all loud. Like <laughs> I had to keep reassuring myself. Like, we are in Edinburgh, aren't we? This isn't in France. Um, no, France were on top form. Scotland didn't play well at all. But even when we tried to fix stuff, France had an answer for everything and just oh, breathless, breathtaking, yeah. unreal. Yeah. I think I think the words you said just before we came on the pod were Harlem Globetrotters esque, and Tim said quite rightly, "Well, Harlem Globetrotters, if they were organised, is." And how how much do you think that is down to you know possibly the, the the man that got away for Welsh fans, which is Sean Edwards? I think he's had a big impact, but on these shows because we know him quite well, he gets a lot of the praise, and, yeah. and you tend to overlook the other elements of the the coaching structure. And I think obviously. Fabian Gatti, I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about him on the French Rugby podcast and he is one of those guys who, I think it's fair to say, pissed a lot of people off in club rugby, rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. International setup, I think people buy into it and um, a lot of stuff's gone on behind the scenes with the FFR. They've renegotiated stuff and they've got a good deal in place where they can actually have consolidated time away and I feel like I'm Benji talking now because he spent a decade being not that good and then um, by his own admission and he would say that that's because they all had to go back to their clubs they trained for sort of three days before a game and you know now they've got a big block so yeah Sean Edwards clearly has made a huge difference to their defence like they, they look solid they look like they want to defend for him mm. um, but you know their, their line out looks brilliant um, they've 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 picked good coaches from the French club game, and um, Thibaut Giroud as well. Fitness side of things, they're, they're clearly a lot fitter than they've ever been. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I think the old adage was you you would possibly try and run France off the park. You know, Wales used to do it consistently: keep the ball in play, not kick to touch, avoid set pieces as much as possible, um, and. That used to get around the French, but you saw against Ireland, certainly it was a sm- small drop-off, probably end of the first half, but then start of the second half, the pack comes back in uh, off the bench and they're fit and firing. Um, well, it's a midweek podcast. We've got you on, Tim, to do a greatest 15 of the French um, team. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with front row or back three? I, I, is, is what it going to be one of the harder 
fifteens we've done because there aren't that many that have got the hundred caps sort of the, the illustrious picks. So, so where would you rather start, front row or back three? I'm not sure how qualified I am to talk about either. To be honest, let's start with the front row. Why not? Start it's with definitely it. not my area of expertise, so I might borrow a bit of Benji's expertise for the front row. So we'll start there. Start with the front row. Um, well, I'm going to borrow a bit of Benji's expertise and my loose head prop because he mentioned last week on your podcast. I mentioned I might be regurgitating some of the information, but um, the Thomas Domingo was the strongest loose head he'd ever had the the pleasure of playing against, and I think he played with him as well, obviously. I've I've got him as my loose head prop. I remember him against England in, I'm not sure what year, it might be 2014, and he absolutely tears through Dan Cole all game, and I think he was brilliant in the loose as well. So that's why I've gone with him there. Um, I know he possibly didn't have as many caps as some of the other mentions, but that's why I've opted with him. Um, Murray, who have you opted with here? Um, I've gone for Sylvain Marconet. I just think... Big unit, and yeah, definitely got a bit more caps. I think. Yeah, I think he's got close. Yeah, to... I nearly went with Mark and I, uh, He can play. He can play both sides as well, which was almost unique. Yeah, yeah, nice and easy for me. If you could play multiple positions, you've got a better chance. Especially in that era where there was only one prop on the bench, you needed someone to be able to play loose head and tight head, and Mark and I could do both. Um, it, you you did mention eighty four caps to, to Domingo's 30, 36, so that's that's a bit of a disparity there. But which which one did you opt for, Tim? Did you opt for either of those or someone different? I opted for someone different. So I I, I think uh, Jean Baptiste Brooks uh, yeah. deserves a mention as well. I think I nearly went with Mark and I, I have to say mainly because of that. He'd probably be on the bench. He covers both sides, like we say. Um, but I actually I'm going to go, and there aren't that many of the current team that make it into. I don't think my fifteen, but Cyril Bai does. I, I honestly think if we had this conversation in five years' time, he'd be nailed on. Uh, and at the moment, I think he's already. I tried to get Benji to agree that he was um, changing the role of the loose head property. Was having any of it, but <laughs> I, I think I think he would agree that Cyril Bai is, if not there now, he will be in a few years' time. It's only really I can think of him and Ty Furlong who get involved at the moment as much in the in this sort of distribution um, and you know when you've got your head coach coming out talking about the relationship he has with Antoine Dupont uh, I just think he offers something different to what Marc Onay or Pooks or Domingo offered who were all brilliant scrummagers as France demands um, physically imposing but I think by just has got the lot and it's maybe a big call now but I think in a few years' time, it, it maybe won't be such a big call. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I think he's streets ahead of everyone else at Loosehead at the moment, certainly in the Six Nations. And I would say even down under, you know, the different sorts of props at South Africa, definitely. You know, if you're talking about the likes of uh, Ox and Che and Co and uh, Nia Kahane. But I think Cyril Bai just got, has got that all-court package you see the try he sets up or helps to set up against Scotland sorry Murray again but you know it's that line he runs you know coming out to win is beautiful um we're at an impasse but I'm, I'm quite happy to go with Cyril Bay because I think this current French crop you're talking a young team that in three or four years time could be well could be world champions Murray do you think they'll be world champions in in a year 18 months time I think they've got a good shot as any 
I think they're definitely not. I don't think they're there just to host the World Cup. They're definitely in it to win it. So, yeah, yeah. never say never. Never say never. It'll probably all come down to. Well, it'll be interesting how that first game goes. Hopefully not as badly as it did in 07 for them. Um, right, Hooker. Uh, well, I, I did wonder whether you'd want to mention Marchand here because he is also streets ahead of the competition. But I think there's a lot of competition. Benjamin Kaiser, um, you've, you said by your own admission, isn't the best player. Well, not your own admission, but his own admission possibly isn't the best player. I wondered if you'd be tempted to go with him. Don't tell him I laughed when he said that. Um, <laughs> you say that like he's not going to be listening intently to this He was 15. very good. Um, <laughs> I'll send him the link. Um, he, I've, I have got a bit of paper here and his name is not written on it, I have to say. Um, but he was, he was very good. Um, if there was room for one more name on a bit of paper, I'm sure he'd be there. Um I don't know if you're picking on English speaking, he'd be up there, but then Rafi Benez would be up there as well. Um, if you're picking on hair, it'd be Sarzewski. Uh, I struggled. I remember William Servat quite well, obviously, uh, you know, the, the things he won with Toulouse and and obviously with France as well. I, I It's a toss-up toss for me, Marchand or Ibanez, I think. And I kind of made myself look a bit daft there because I said I wasn't going to pick that many of the current <laughs> and they, you know, first two positions by and potentially march on. But there you go. <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, you mentioned the hair. I know, Murray, you, you attempt, you've you been tempted by the hair of Svazewski to go with him at Hooker. I have. He has the most beautiful hair in like French <laughs> history. So, yeah, I'd like Dmitry Svazewski as my hooker just because I think he was the first... Like non home nation hooker, I proper remember growing up, and the hair speaks for itself. I can talk about it all day, but no, he, he was a fantastic hooker, and he's doing really well as a coach for Rasen as well. Not set up, and yeah, just I like him. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, he had that all court game. To be fair, it was quite for, for for a small man was good and tight, but you know, explosive in the loose. Um, I went with Rafa Ibanez. Uh, last week we did a greatest 15 of the Six Nations era in the Fallow week and he was one of three Frenchmen to make it in and I I, I went with him there. I, I love the way he used to throw into the line-up one-handed. It is just that. I, I think that's probably a bit bit of bias but um, I would go with Rafa Ibanez and therefore if we're going with majority I think is it fair to put Ibanez in? Happy with that? Hard tip? to argue with that I think yeah. Yeah. Ibanez goes in, and then tight Ed. I think this is a pretty much a straight two-horse race, is it? Is that fair to say between Nicolas Mass and Peter de Villiers, or is there another name that jumps out? Tim, perhaps, another name? I've got to be honest, I didn't even have it down as a two. I think Nicolas Mass takes it for me. I mean, Peter de Villiers was, was very good. Uh, I think he's obviously gone into... He's he's decent coach as well. Um, so maybe that's harsh, but I, for me, I think longevity... He was such a good scrimmager as well. Yeah. At the height of his game, I don't think there was anyone better scrimmaging wise. And um, it's always difficult to compare eras because you, you could maybe argue that he didn't do as much in the loose as, as a lot of props do now. But then they didn't in his day. And I think he, he was at the top for such a long while. Yeah, I, I, I only had Nicola Mass written down on my piece of paper, but I, I take Peter de Villiers as, a, as the next closest competitor, I think, yeah. Yeah, I I, I likewise had Nicola Mass straight in. You mentioned best scrimmage of that era. I 
as a Welshman, I'm very tempted to say Adam Jones. Um, but they definitely had huge battles between the two of them. They were, you know, that semi-final where Adam Jones actually goes off injured. That was a huge part in that 2011 World Cup where Adam goes off injured and then the French scrum just destroyed the Welsh scrum. Um, Murray, I know you're a fan of Peter de Villiers for what he's done as a coach, but did you opt for him then? I did go Pierre de Villiers, but you know what? I can't argue with like Nicolas Mas. He, he is fantastic. He does have the longevity, like Tim said. And as we're throwing Home Nation tight heads... You and Murray? <laughs> Only if it wasn't a Sunday. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. we, can't, we can't name the current one, because no, just absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we won't go into it. We won't go into it, Murray. We've, we've had several off-pod conversations about what Peter has having to do with, deal with in that Scottish front row. Um, right, second rows. I... I I mentioned before the podcast, I was looking for an obvious name. For me, an obvious name is Fabian Palouse. 118 caps. I think of the current, of the recent vintage, I think he's only the, yeah, the second man to reach 100 caps for France and the only one in, in this uh, two-decade period, obviously, after Philippe Sella. Um, he was the obvious choice for me, probably up there for captain as well. Do you think... Do you think Tim, certainly within British shores, he's somewhat forgotten about when you compare him to the likes of Paul O'Connell, Alan Wynn and Martin Johnson doesn't give him the credit he deserves? I think so. And I think that's probably true of a lot of French players. I mean, if you go back maybe before the sort of period that we're talking about, maybe there are Frenchmen who are who are remembered a bit more fondly for mm. that. The flair, the baggy shirts, the, the the clips that do the rounds. But yeah, I, I do think that the sort of two thousands, there was there was such strong French sides, and and some of those guys do get forgotten about. Fabien Pelouse, obviously the most capped French player, about a third of those hundred and eighteen caps were as captain. He, he led France in an, in an era where they had a lot of talented players, but again, that structure wasn't maybe in place where where they had quite as much sort of infrastructure as some of the other Six Nations countries. And they still won the title four, four or five times in the in that period, sort of between 2000 and 2010. So, yeah, I think he's, he's an obvious choice for his ability in the second row, but also for his leadership, yeah. Yeah, leadership. You, you wouldn't want to mess with him. He was a very scary guy. Um, I partnered it with another scary guy as well, with Lionel Nale. I, I don't fancy that second row pairing. Um, but Murray, you, I know you've possibly gone with the ultimate scary man in Sebastian gone, Cheval. I have gone for the fear factor in rugby. I've gone for the beard. I've gone for Sebastian Cheval. <clears throat> I did remember speaking to you about this, Carwin. Do you stick him in the back row or the second row? I just think either way, he, he needs to be in that topic because... I remember watching the 2007 Rugby World Cup, not knowing much about rugby and seeing Sebastian Chabal look dead in the eyes of the All Blacks. Absolutely crapping myself. I was like, <laughs> who, like who is this man? Like, that, like the hacker is, it's obviously not to be feared, it's not it's to be intimidated. And Sebastian Chabal just stood there like, whatever, I don't yeah. care. Yeah. And he was, oh, he's just brilliant. I loved, I loved Sebastian Chabal, I don't think he gets enough credit like you mentioned about Palouse. I don't think he gets enough credit over here. 
as much. No, perhaps not. I think you mentioned about the hacker. It's, it, he was probably the, the first one of that. You then saw the, the stare down that Wales tried to do uh, at home to the All Blacks that backfired immensely. Um, <laughs> you've, you've seen since in recent years sort of the, the Owen Farrell smirk. And I can't, who's the US? I can't, I can't remember the name of the US uh, player who does a little laugh at the hacker and then they get trounced by 100 points. So it, it sometimes pays off, sometimes doesn't. I think the joke is two or three because Owen Farrell smirked and they won. Jack Conan gave a cheeky yeah. little grin in Ireland won. And then the poor American lads <laughs> giggling away and got absolutely whacked. So yeah. two or three is not bad. No, two or three is not bad. Um, Tim, who are your second row pairing? I've got Fabian Police for sure. Um, Nale had to be close. But again, like I'm, I'm going to make myself sound deft again. This is three out of five. Cameron Wockie, I think. I, I honestly think, yeah, if you're basing it on caps and what he's done so far, it sounds like a stupid suggestion. But again, it's it's one of those where is he a back row? Is he a second row? The game's kind of transforming before our eyes, and and you're talking about hybrid players, and I think. It's hard to find whether you look back through the years or whether you look through the current crop around the world. I don't know if there's a more athletic forward in the world. I mean, you can talk about Mario Toji, you can talk about some of the guys in the Southern Hemisphere, but Cameron Wockey, he's got a lot to learn still, but he's, he's only just been picked there in the last mm. six months or so. And some of the things he's doing is is scary stuff. So again, it's one of those where... I suppose you could look back in, in a year or two's time. He might be playing in the back row. He might have had an injury and you might be thinking, well, that is a ridiculous call. <laughs> but, um, right here and now, uh, yeah, I, I think this, the work he does in the line-out, the stuff he does in the loose, in defence and attack, I've gone for him, but uh, I will be happily overruled by people who have achieved a lot more in their career than, than he has, <laughs> given how early on it is. I, I can understand it. He is he is a special talent. I still think he's got a lot to learn in that second row position. I, I'm not 100% convinced he is a second row. I don't know whether he's that sort of... Because you look at the probably closest comparison to him in size is probably Laws at England. You know, the sort of position that Laws plays at six. That, that may be somewhere where he goes in future, but he's probably more athletic than Laws in many ways. So... Better ball handling skills, certainly. So I, I yeah, I, I don't know where he's best placed. You've also got. I think he has. I think he has freakish line-out ability, and he it is interesting because it, I think it's all about a partnership. So yeah. if you paired him with, uh, I'm trying to think of examples, but basically he works very well with Villemser, yeah. or he works very well with Tafifner because they're absolute monsters. Like, and not that he isn't; he's huge, but. I think he does need someone alongside him who does the grunt, does the tough stuff. Um, and he obviously, he still plays back row for uh, Bordeaux. Um, so I just think it's interesting that France have moved in there. And it's a bit of a wild card. I think, you know, Nale did, did, did a lot of good work <laughs> for a long period of time. And to overlook him for someone who's probably played, what, four or five tests in, in the second row is, is it, again, like an outrageous call, really. But I just think, again, he's he's one that in a few years' time uh, we will probably be talking about in that that kind of company. Yeah, definitely. Um, Murray, the, another man I wanted to mention was Pascal Pape with 65 caps, but it's another guy you wanted to mention here as well, I think, with a, I think the exact same amount of caps in Johan Maestri. Yeah, 
Johan Mice, yeah, Johan Mice was got the same, exact same as Pascal Pape. I genuinely couldn't think. I, I had second row, and I had Sebastian Chabal clamp down, and I was just like, who else is there? And like Tim said, like Cameron Wokey is special, but I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to put him in just because he's not even hit double digits yet for caps. Nice. So I was like, I can't put him. Although, if you are talking dreamy like combinations, Shabal and Wokey would be. <laughs> Beautiful to watch, so certainly in the or magnifique. <laughs> you mentioned you had three words to me before this pod in French, Murray, and that was one of them. So I'm waiting to see yeah. when the other two are coming out. Um, I, I, I think if I was to pick right now, if I was um, and drop possibly Nale, I'd take Chabal in that second row. Did you did you have him at all, Tim, in your in your starting team, or are you more tempted to put him in that 19 jersey on the bench? Yeah, I think I think he'd be into the bench one like Sylvain Marconet. I and I always you're right. He was a very good second row as well. But I do always think of Chabal as a back rower. Maybe that's the sort of sale influence that he had when he was over here. Um, but he won caps in the in the second row. He was very good. And again, there's a strong hair theme going through the <laughs> team. Can't can't argue with that either. Uh, Jerome Tillman would be another one who who was very good. Um, I don't know. I'll I'll leave you with the casting, but I think Cameron Wackie's a wild card again. It, it, I, I promise there isn't there isn't too many more <laughs> from the current French crop. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's a tough call. The second row. It wasn't an easy decision. I don't think. Aside from Palouse, who purely for experience and leadership, I think you, you can't really overlook him. It's a tough call. The other one. I agree. I think there's there's lots of people that have come in and out and had good good periods. Like I remember, Ituria was amazing for about a Six Nations. And then just disappeared completely. Sort of played back row then, and then just disappeared sadly. Um, but yeah, I was tempted by him as well. Back row, we are into. You know, this is one of the most exciting back rows I've ever seen. You know, writing down these names: Oliver Mania. Uh, so, you know, you could mention Sebastian Chabal here, Julian Bonnet, Serge Betson, Thierry Dussois, Pikamal Haranodzaki, Gregory Aldrich. Currently, which combination did you go with, Tim? I went. I'll run you through all three then, because it is it, it is almost impossible. Yeah. Um, on the flanks, I went with Dusatwar and Betson. I, I don't. There, there are other names, and I, I guess you could play people in different positions as well. But I just think. Be, do you both have Dusatwar in there? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Betson, I think. I think we've both got Betson as well, haven't we, Murray? Yeah, I've got Betson. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's not hard after all. Yeah. <laughs> I've given it the big build-up. I was hoping for a bit of variation, but it hasn't worked. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're both... Um, and they sort of almost handed the baton over to one another as well. Betson, yeah. they overlapped slightly at the end of their career in 2007, but Betson just uh, ahead of his time, really, in the way he played. And then Dusatwa just picked up the mantle. And um, I think they can both play blind and open. Um, they, they dovetail well alongside each other. And yeah, some of the other names you mentioned, uh, phenomenal players too. Still have anyone else written down? Not really. Yeah, Bonaire would have been up there. But I just think those two, physically and intelligence-wise, both ahead of the rest for me. Yeah, I, uh, you know, Thierry Dissertoire would tackle for days. I think we, we talked about him last week and 
someone said, you know, he'd come on after, if, if we're going to have him, we couldn't get him in our team, so we ended up having him on the bench. We thought, well, he can come on the final 30 and make 30 tackles, and that's that's what Thierry Dissertois would do. And you saw how amazing he was in that 2011 World Cup, the, the whole year, but especially in that final. I think he won Player of the Year that year, didn't he, um, at, at the end of that that year. So he was phenomenal. Serge Betson, yeah, I've recounted my stories last week again on this one, but yeah, he's caused me temper tantrums and, and joy at passing a GCSE French exam. But he's, um, yeah, one hell of a player. Um, Murray... I'm going to come to you with your number eight now because we've discussed six and seven. I think you've gone a different route to me here, possibly. Yeah, so you did mention Gregory Audrey, and again, like he is fantastic. I call him the one that got away just because his dad's from Sterling. <laughs> oh, what could like oh, what could have been? But um, no, there's only one man that I've really wanted at number eight, and it's Louis Picamol. I think he was fantastic, massive ball carrier. Hmm. Great leader for when the time he had the captain's armband. I, I can really say no wrong about Pico really, but um, I can I, I can maybe lean to see suggestions. <laughs> I, right, I've got a couple of things with Pico I'm I'm more partial to a ball playing eight than I am a ball carrying eight. I think that's the first comment I need to make, and that's why probably influenced by Falatau primarily. To be fair, in, in my love for Falatau, so they're. I would lean more towards Harry Nordzicki. I think he was had better hands than uh, Pikamol and was more all-court game. But also, you mentioned leadership, and uh, my abiding memory of Pikamol is him getting a yellow card for sarcastically clapping a referee as he's walking off at the at the Principality. Um, and and that's my abiding memory of Pikamol. I, I struggle to, to look past that, but he was a phenomenal player. Um, but yeah, I would go with Harry Nordzicki. The way he used to leap up and grab the ball with one hand in the line-out as well. He was incredible. Uh, Tim, you've got the deciding vote here. Is it, is it one of those two that you've opted for? It is. I think they're, they're the three names. I mean, Cheval would be on my bench, so I think we've established <laughs> that, covering both positions. So, Aronauda, Kipi, Kamal and Audrey are the three, I think. I can't keep picking current players, clearly. Like, <laughs> I've, just, I've lied to you from the start, so I'm, I'm not going with Audrey. Um I think Pikamol is physically the most gifted of the two. Um, but I give it to Haranodiki. Mainly, I have to say, on the basis of the fact that he played in a better French side, to be honest, probably. He he won more. Um, and I think I think you're right. Pikamol, it's just uh, the size of his legs. like the, the power he generated was, was huge. But I do think he probably probably would admit himself he played in fits and starts a bit a bit too much at times so like he was he, when he came over to Southampton he was brilliant and he he dominated in the premiership for for that season uh but yeah I think with France he, he probably I don't think it's too harsh to say he could have done a little bit more with the sort of physical gifts that he had um and that's not to say he didn't have a brilliant career so I just not by much, but just went for Aronaldi. Do you think? Do you think he's one that would have revelled in the current setup, and perhaps if the current setup was in place back when he was playing, would have been, you know, revolutionised as a rugby player? Absolutely, I think he he would have the job that Aldrich does now. I, I don't think he would. 
be the same player because Aldrich hits a lot of rucks. He gets around. He, he's got an enormous engine and work rate. But certainly the carrying he, he does, I, I do think that Pickamore would have fitted him well. And it, it's unfortunate for him almost that he he missed this generation of coaching and professionalism and the infrastructure they've got there. Because if it if it had been there during his generation, then um, yeah, he, he whether he'd have won more caps, I don't know. But he certainly would have had more success. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, certainly. Um... Right, scrum half. Um, <laughs> this is this is difficult. It, well, I say it's difficult, and yet I would be very surprised if we haven't all ended up going with the current incumbent, just because Antoine is so... Uh, he, I don't know how to put into words how, how much further on he is than every other scrum half. He has an all-court game that he can do anything. His defence is impeccable. It's probably underrated how great he is in defence. He's... He's so strong for a guy his height, and he's fast. You know, see the see the break he makes against. Sorry again, but Scotland. Um, I I struggle how you can pick anyone else to be honest. And we ended up having the same discussion last week. He's the third um, member of that greatest fifteen we selected, and we just couldn't think of any other scrum half since probably the likes of Gareth Edwards that can do everything. Do you do, do you agree, Tim? Yeah, I think. Again, it's one way you hope you look back in a few years' time and and it's just an obvious pick. Uh, it looks like an obvious pick already, but you've yeah. got to remember how young he is still. Um, but he's got everything. He seems to be getting better with every game, which is incredible. Um, and yeah, if you look at the other candidates, obviously his, his head coach at the moment, Fabian Galtier, didn't play enough games in the sort of Six Nations era to be to be picked, but you know he he was there up until sort of oh three I think it was, yeah. um, and obviously I think Dupont owes a lot to him on the the coaching front. I'm probably <laughs> when he was very young watching clips of, of Fabian play as well. Uh, the other nines that France have produced since then are probably more sort of kicking nines than than a running threat. You're talking. Yashvili, Jean-Baptiste Lissald, uh, Morgan Power, obviously, Benji's best mate, um, <laughs> who he, he has a lot of time for. And it, again, Morgan is a hugely talented player, but maybe um, fair to say very French without yeah. being disparaging. He, he, he's got a huge work ethic when he wants it. He can drive a team, but then... I suppose if you're the opposition, you'd, you'd look at him as, as being a player that you could target and kind of get under their skin, um, which doesn't seem to be the case for Dupont. He, he seems to kind of rise above everything. I don't know, we may see someone get under his skin, but at the moment, he looks um, he looks a class apart. And you're right, all of those French nines don't have the defensive side of their games that yeah. Dupont has. And I think Sean Edwards has obviously pinpointed him and has him doing a, a, a certain role, which, again, when we had him on the podcast, he spoke to us about, which is almost sort of like a sweeper-type role. And he, he comes in, he's often sort of third man in the defensive line, so he's not the, the closest to the ruck. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just think most people focus on his attack, and rightly so, because he's so explosive, so powerful, uh, so intelligent in attack. But that defensive side of, of his game is also better than, than all those other yeah. candidates. 
So it's a long-winded way of saying I agree. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. You're, you're spot on. I think with especially with Dupont defense, like you see the sweeper. Um, I think the best example of the sweeper is. Uh, against Ireland, the Six Nations, you see that break that Hugo Keenan makes and he's going to throw that offload inside but then there's a ball and all tackle by DuPont to stop the ball going to, uh, I think it's Van der Fleer who would have run into the sticks. And that would have been seven points, games on, Ireland could have won the match. Um, and that's how crucial DuPont is. And you mentioned the third man in there, that's probably similar to the Gareth, Ed- uh, Gareth Edwards, Gareth Davis role, where he used to spot blitz. Um, and you saw that for years for Wales under Sean Edwards. Um I, I loved Yashvili and really wanted to pick him. But I think Yashvili, you're talking two years of greatness and then a number of years of probably not quite up to the standard. I think he had a few injuries, obviously struggled with what happened with uh, Biarritz, you know, his, his, his club and things like that. Sort of the, the club struggled and then he struggled as, as a result. Um, you know, Murray... Growing up, which which was your favourite growing up? Were you a Morgan Parra fan or were you a Yashvili fan? Fifty-fifty. <sighs> like either way, I would be quite happy to see either or. Um, for just name, not name value, just the way they say his name with a French accent. Maxi Machineau was always one for me, <laughs> just because I loved the way they said it. But um, no, like Tim said, Dupont is miles ahead. I mean, he's 25 years old, 38 caps for France. He's won a Champions Cup. He's got a top 14 title, maybe even two four, top 14 titles, and he's World Player of the Year. And he's 25. Yeah, like you're going to get bored of Kieran's name. Yeah, <laughs> you just need that Grand Slam and World Cup to to accompany it, which you know one looks likely, one looks possible, certainly. Um, fly half. Uh, look, it's it's a difficult one because. <laughs> France have changed tuned through fly halves like nobody's business. I think that's fair to say over the years, and that no one's managed to nail down that role. I I call it in the current setup almost the easiest job in rugby because Intermac, you know, he's got Dupont inside of him, um, a huge pack, and then he's shipping the ball on to Dante and Fiku, who I, I I absolutely love. I've I've gone probably a little bit safe here and gone with Francois Tranduc, which is probably the most boring option you could have selected of the of the four fly halves I've got written down. But I I just looked at my side and I went, right, I need someone who is consistent because I think there's gonna be a little bit more inconsistency outside of him, certainly from from, from the backs I've chosen. So um I'll be interested to hear who you've gone for because there are certainly many options here. Uh Murray, do you wanna kick us off? I've I've not gone for Shanduk. I'm a bit more loose <laughs> yeah. with my lifestyle of play. I've gone for uh, I've backed Freddie. I've backed Frederic Michalak because I just I thought he was he was very inconsistent, but like top point scorer in French rugby for a reason. So yeah. obviously when it went right, it, it definitely went his way, and I think he would him and Dupont would bounce off each other quite well. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I'd, I'd, it'd be very, it would be very, very worse rugby. Yeah, it's fun to watch. It'd be fun to yeah, watch. Exactly. It was always fun to watch Frederick Michelak. You know, he had that amazing game against New Zealand in 07 But the other memory I've got of him is, is a scrum. I think it's out in Ireland or against Ireland, certainly. And he gets the ball off the scrum at fly half, and he performs a, a cross, a kick off the outside of his boot into the corner, the blindside corner, and uh, Vanton Clerk scores in the corner. He could do anything with a rugby ball you could want. And 
did you, Tim, think that was his best position, fly half? Did you think he was a fly half, scrum half? I think he was a fly half. I think uh, just what one of the most talented French players I've ever seen. I, I think most people would say that. I, I think he probably did struggle with the fact that in France the nine is the most important position. So he almost wanted to play nine because he wanted to have the most influence on the game. He wanted to be the the biggest the biggest <laughs> guy, the biggest yeah. <laughs> one making all the decisions. Um, whereas if he was, you know, if he was English or Welsh, he probably would have accepted the 10 and, and run with it and everyone would have looked to him. So, I don't know. There are other candidates. Yeah. Gerald Merceron, he, again, I, I may be slightly older than you two, I don't know, but he... <laughs> he I, I have hazy memories of him, obviously, but but he won a Grand Slam in the early 2000s. He he was at the 2003 World Cup. Again, like you mentioned, there's a lot of these French tens who, who didn't have anywhere near as many caps as, as you would have expected them to have if they were from other countries, and they've chopped and changed a lot. Trandu is, I suppose, the, the steady hand on the tiller. Um, I don't think anyone would mention Lionel Boxis in this, but yeah, he wanted a kicking ten. <laughs> A, so who falls up in the air a kicking 10 or a, or a fly hack 10 are we talking his fly hack for uh, I can't remember who it is is it Stade Francais he does that fly hack in the Champions Cup on a volley against Bath yeah he messes the ball completely yeah um, so no I haven't gone with Leonard Boxes um, <laughs> but I, no, I wouldn't go with Tranduki I just I, I think I can see your point you, you want someone to kind of calm everything down Um and again, I, I can't pick Roman Entomac. It's too early. The, the, the current crop of like him and Jalabert, are, oh, yeah. talent-wise, are, are up there with with uh, Freddie Mischlak. Um So no, I, I think if you put him in the setup that they've got now with good coaches and, and everything around them, I would go Freddie Mischlak. I just think talent-wise, he was he was above the rest. So he would be my choice. I think. Yeah, can completely understand that. Um... It's it's an interesting when you bring up the, the the tens currently because you know even behind them you've got the likes of Bello etc going on and on and on. Um, do you think? Well, first of all, you know you're not picking the team, but if you were to pick the team, who would you like to see at ten? Would you like Jalibe or would you like Intermac? Oh, it's a bit like picking this team, I suppose. It, it yeah. depends what you want. I mean, Intermac uh, is of the two, he's still got explosive ability and he's got game breaking ability but he, he uh, I think is is one who you can probably give a game plan to slightly more than Jalabert at this stage but you've got to remember how young they are as well yeah. like both of them are, are 22 I think so it, it, people develop at slightly different rates and you may see Jalabert in a couple of years time with the ability he's got now but also having learnt a bit more about how to control a game Um that's not to say he can't do it now, but I just think they probably trust Entomac a bit more and the relationship he has with Dupont yeah. can't be ignored. Like I think he, he gets picked a lot more on that. And they tried playing them to the two of them together and um I can see them going back to that on an odd game and because it is obviously something that he had in his mind, Gauti, that he wanted to do. But if everyone's fit you know the the options they've got at centre. I can't see them them doing that much anymore. And 
yes, yes. <laughs> far be it from me to argue Fabian yeah. Galtier. I think he's got it. I think he's got it right. So I think I would go with Entomac just over Jalibert. I, I'm I'm more of a Jalibert fan. I I think Entomac is a little bit fortunate that Jamine. Well, p- fortunate, or it's by design perhaps that Jamine's come in and been that kicking option. That probably that's where Jalibert is slightly ahead of Entomac is his goal kicking, and certainly you've seen yeah. for Bordeaux. Um, last season in the Champions Cup and the season before that how consistent Charlie Bay was there. Um right, centres. This is this is honestly one of the most exciting centres I've ever looked at. I love the French centres, all of them pretty much. Um Fofana, Josian, Tri, Fiku, Mathieu Bastero, you've got to mention here. You've also got the likes of Mermos and Fritz, who didn't even come into my into my list. So I I'm struggling to pick two. If I'm picking my favourite two, I think I'd have to have Fofana in there um, because and I don't want to just say because of the try against England but it is largely yeah. due to the try yeah. against England <laughs> it's it's what he could do I suppose is that is that ability he had such game breaking ability and the, the bizarre nature that he was played on the wing for pretty much a whole Six Nations wasn't he um, was baffling Um Similarly, Gail Ficou, why he was played on the wing is also baffling looking at how he plays now. Whether you think he's a 12 or 13, he is, in my opinion, the best centre in the world. Um, and then Josian is the guy who can do it all. So I, I think if I were to have a partnership, I'd probably go Josian and Fofana um, because I'm not a big fan of the Crash Ball 12, as I found out last week when um, we did our Greatest 15 and they selected Jamie Roberts and I was the only one not to. So um, Murray... Are you? I know you're a bit more partial to the crash ball twelve. As you, you were a former crash baller yourself, weren't you? At twelve, occasionally. Trying not to push back into the game, that that, <laughs> that role again. And, um, it's. I've wrote down two names, and it's you can put them twelve. It doesn't matter what way you do it. I have got Gail Fiku, like you said, Carwin, probably the best centre in world at the moment. And I didn't particularly like him as a player. But it's hard to ignore when it's Matthew Bastereau. I yeah. just think he was a bit dirty. That's why I kind of tried to think of anyone else. But, well, yeah, he, I mean, longevity, he was always in that mix. And he played with, like, even with the scrub halves that we mentioned, he played with all of them, really. Yeah. He played with Yashvili, he played with Para, I think he played with DuPont. I think when DuPont first broke through, Bastereau was still in that team. Yeah, so... I think I'll go Fiku and, and Bastero for my centres. Yeah, you was brought in originally and it seemed like he was brought in solely to stop Jamie Roberts in a game where I think Wales were playing out in France and I think he was brought in and never thought, oh, this is just the game plan for this game and then continued to have a great career. You mentioned he's a bit of a dirty player. I think you need to talk to Benji Kaiser because on your podcast, Tim, he called him a mummer's boy, didn't he? So, I don't know. He did, yeah. yeah. Which was a bit surprising, perhaps. <laughs> And we're hopefully going to have him on, uh, I don't know when, but in, a, in the next couple of months, hopefully. And um, I think it's fair to say I won't be calling him a mum's boy. But... <laughs> you wouldn't be calling him a dirty player either, I assume, either. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did have his instance, I'll give you that. Um, but yeah, just, uh, just uh, again, defensively, he, he, it's high. I think he, he deceptively quick like he, he, and, and intelligent as well, as in... If you've got other players around you, that you don't get exposed. So I think he he wasn't 
in my centre pairing, but he's probably the next name on the list. Yeah. I, I think, again, in this part of the world, maybe because it's easy to poke fun wearing a tight shirt, <laughs> maybe we overlook his ability a little bit. But, you know, the stuff you did, obviously at club level, the stuff you did with Toulon was, was fantastic. And yeah. if you've got, I know Johnny Wilkinson talks very highly of him. You know, if you've got people like that, uh, Matt Gitto, who who can see what you offer aside, again, maybe could he have been fifth? It's hard to know, isn't it? Like if if he if he lost a bit of weight, if he toned up, would he have been better? But I, I sometimes think that's a bit of a of a cop out. Like he yeah. he he fulfilled what he did very well, and again, if he had the current crop around him. He'd, he'd probably have slotted in nicely and been very, very good. I didn't go with him, but he he would have been up there. I think again for longevity, Gail Ficky is hard to argue with the way he's leading this team at the moment. I know he's not the skipper; he has been, but he isn't. Um, but as a defensive leader, uh, if Sean Edwards comes in and sees what you've got, yeah. and I know when we spoke to Sean, he talked about kind of the problems that Ficky had had before, and, and him sort of almost. I don't think he used the words, but he sort of almost saw him as like a, a kind of rough diamond, someone that he could sort of mould and that other people have maybe seen his ability, but hadn't seen the sort of like personality and the kind of leadership qualities in him. And he obviously did. So he picked him as his defensive captain straight away. And then obviously you see the try against Scotland. Feels like we're Scotland bashing here. But, <laughs> Sorry, um, Murray. <laughs> yeah, the, way, the way he, um, the way he picked out the the the, the way he picked out the scrum after run out the way he picked out Ali Price and just sat him down um, it's just he's he's a clever player now he's developed he broke onto the scene when he was eighteen mm-hmm. like no it's not just Scotland he scored that try against England on his debut um, and I think it's fair to say that he he kept getting picked and he was he was moved to the wing a lot as well yeah. um which i didn't agree with necessarily and and he he still has been moved to it was interesting that he wasn't moved to the wing in this six nations and they moved Murfana out there yeah but um he freakish physical ability um and i think he's evolved he is he's always been good in attack but but maybe hasn't scored as many tries as you might have expected him to over the years and I think now we're seeing the best of him. So I, he'd be my 13 for sure. Yeah, I I can agree with that with Gail. I think the reason, or one of the reasons I think you've seen him out on the wing as much is, is how good he is under the high ball. He is absolutely brilliant in the air. And we've seen that several times against Wales. Like, you know, probably you, that that moment where George North actually gets the intercept off Farmahina's six-man mispass in 2019, that's a high ball reclaimed by Fika, which is insane the way he's sort of climbed up in the air. But, um, yeah, I, I can fully understand Fiku. I'd, I'd be more than happy. Who was, who was his partner for you then, Tim? I was with Yannick Josion. I think, again, it's a, it's a big centre pairing. Um, Josion was almost ahead of his time as well, sort of yeah. physically for a centre, six foot four and 17 stone or whatever he was. Um, and, again, that, that sort of generation... Um, I know we're picking on Six Nations, we're picking on international, but sort of what he did at club level as well with Toulouse, sort of winning doing three Heineken Cups, three top 14s. Um, but he also, he won 
three Six Nations as well, I think. So he was successful at both club and international level. Um, I yeah, they I Bastero is a good shout. Damien Tri played a lot of centre, very good. Um, but I think I I. It, Jersey on and Fiki for me would have made an excellent sense pairing if you'd have put them together. Both physically imposing, both good ball players, um, and yeah, defensively and attacking wise, they they would both get the nod for me. Yeah, I I I can fully get behind that. Uh, going with the majority, I think two of us have gone with Yannick and two of us have gone with Gale, so that's a perfect centre pairing. Um, right. Back. We could have got. We could have got like the closest to swearing on the show if you went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Back three. Um, this is tough. I think. I think one wing is pretty much nailed on with Van Son Klerk. He's the top try scorer in the modern era. I did say uh, all time, but we just looked that up, and it's Serge Blanco. So thanks for correcting me, Tim. <laughs> um, the other, the other winger, right, I've mentioned about moving centres to wing and how I didn't like that. And I'm very tempted to move another centre to the wing. And that is Aurelien Rougerie because I think he was a better 13, but I was looking at it. And the other clear option is probably Christophe Dominici, if we're talking other options on the wing. And that, that was the other one that jumped out to me. And I thought that's quite a small back three with, depending on who you've got at full back. Um, so that's why I've gone with Aureli and Rougeri to have a bit more balance in that back three positions. Tim, did you go likewise or did you go with Christophe Dominici with Vincent Clerc? I had exactly the same thought process as you. <laughs> I, I picked a giant sense bearing and then I've picked two um, vertically challenged players on the wing, Vincent Clerc and Christophe Dominici. I think you're right. If you look at it and you're, you're talking about practicalities and balance and, and whatever, you, you are thinking they're going to get targeted yeah. like high balls constantly peppered on them. But I'm picking off, um, you know, sort of emotion and, and French flair and everything we want to see. And Christophe Dominici was just box office. He, yeah. got you out of your seat. We all know about the World Cup tries but just um 25 tries in 67 tests he's not not as prolific as Vincent Clare but the tries he did score I can't remember too many dull ones no. <laughs> just everyone seemed to be skinning players left right and center and obviously it's hugely sad what's happened recently yeah. um he had his problems off the field but if you're looking at players and I, I you would I would guess he was a, a big influence for a guy like Gavin Villiers, who I know was a, a scrum half, but is another very small guy who's playing on the wing who packs a punch like way above his weight. And, um, you know, even guys from other nations, you see Mike Lowry at the moment get his debut and score a couple of tries for Ireland. He's tiny at, at fullback. Cheslin Colby, I'm guessing, would have watched Christoph Dominici in his younger days and, and been inspired by that. And... I think, yeah, if you're a coach drawing up this team, you'd maybe want a bigger guy on the wing. But I, from a from a just looking at kind of heart and, you know, they they both punched above their weight. I think Van Sinclair and, and Dominici for the tries they scored and what they kind of embodied, I've picked both of them. 
Yeah, I, I can fully agree with it. I was probably trying to look for something a bit more out there because last week we ended up with Billy Wiz, Jason Robinson and Shane Williams on our wings for the greatest 50. So it seems to be a theme. And certainly if you're going heart of a head, it's hard not to. You know, Dominici's step was outrageous um, and his ability. Um, you know, well, I have given you then a choice, Murray, of Aurelian Rougeri or Dominici, but I, I, I can fully understand if you go with Dominici, which I think you may do. I am. Just, you give me an idea as well, Carmen, so I'll give you credit for that later on. You know my, uh, na, 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 yeah. na, na, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to introduce, uh, Dominici to my, uh, hot step for, uh, RFC. I don't have a 15. <laughs> there's, too, there's too many signings, so he'll get, he'll get signed later on. So, yeah, we'll go, uh, Christoph Dominici and Anton Clark. Yeah. I think well, just before, before you move on from the wingers, again, like I feel like a broken record, but if he carries on scoring at the rate he is at the moment, Damian Pano wouldn't be oh, a miss oh. in that conversation. Right, oh. Murray, you have to get over this. All right. no, no. Damian Pano is one of the best wingers in world rugby. He just oh. is. And I know, I know you're not I a big fan. He has fan. a clue what he's doing most of the time, but... <laughs> I know you're not a big I fan. Just it's, nothing to do with, it's nothing to do with his ability. I just don't like him. <laughs> it's it's something it I I can understand he does have a fair few run-ins. Let's let's be honest, but he's playing with a great French team that that allow him to do that. The interception against New Zealand is brilliant timing. You know that's 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 you know as far as changing a game goes, that was perfect. Um, similar to oh, James Hume this weekend for Ulster against Cardiff, which was painful to watch, um, but. I, I really like Damien Penno. I love Villiers as well. I know the probably the, the closest similarity and they're both parts of the seven circuit is Darcy Graham, really, for packing a punch above their weight, sort of that, that element, Murray. And I know you're a big fan of him as well. So um I love, I love that bit, yeah. Yeah. It, it's quite strange I, as well. I, I do like Villiers though. Yeah. I do really like Villiers. And it was a big surprise to think that he was bald. I was really not <laughs> expecting that. After one of the games when he took the scrum, the fitness red scrum cap off, I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I was expecting like a nice little tight man bun for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> given the uh, given the hair theme running through your team, I'm surprised Cedric Haymans wasn't up there on the on the weekend. <laughs> uh, well, I did wonder. Well, if... I've, I've saved the best hairstyle for my fullback as well. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, let's jump to fullback then. You mentioned Cedric Haymans. Um, there, there are other names. I did consider Thomas Castanier here, possibly. I know he played quite a bit of 10, but he also played full-back. Uh, Damian Try also played a lot of full-back. I think Nicola Brusque was the, the full-back back, back in the day. I remember him quite vividly, but I was surprised he only played 27 times. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned here, is it more than mutton chops for you uh, with Maxime Medard? Yeah. Yeah, I've gone from Wolverine. I've gone from Maxime Medard. <laughs> Just very light, very nimble on his feet, but could pack a punch when it it wouldn't always just step you, he would run through you, given the chance as well. Quite safe under the high ball. Yeah. I would say as well. I just Yeah, and you know, the mutton chops it makes him stand out. If you can't remember the name, you do go. Oh, it's someone with the, with the <laughs> man chop. It looks like it looks like Hugh Jackman in two thousand two. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I I I love Madar. I uh, partly one of the best moments for Madar is that um, 
I'm so, I've, I've, two weeks in a row I'm going to mention it but the, the moment with Freddie Burns um, at, away at the wreck and Freddie Burns has missed a kick in front of the posts and then celebrates like you know he's won the World Cup in front of the wreck and Medar knocks the ball out of his hands bless him I, like I did feel sorry for him but it's brilliant from Medar it's such hard work it's that committed work that goes on you know nine times or 99 times out of 100 that is pointless what Medar's doing and that one time it's paid off and rewarded him. Um, Tim, did you go with Medar? Did you consider possibly someone like Clement Poitrano, who was, was was a staunch figure in the back for, for France for a number of years? They're the two I've written down. Uh, looking at my team, I'm slightly concerned that I don't have a nailed-on goal kicker in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Gemini would be would be that but obviously I can't pick him that, that's the theme running through I can't keep keep going back to current players um, it is a toss up it's like if you go with your heart or you go with your head um, you spoke about the wingers and talked about not picking two small guys if you're going for solidity alongside a Vincent Clare and a Christophe Dominici you would go with Quattro <sighs> Is, is, I, I don't think French coaches could make their mind up between Quattrino and Medar. So no. I, I'm, we're in good, good company if we can't decide. Um, is, is it fair to say Quattrino was better under the high ball than a, a little grubber kick through? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it, it's one of those where a moment defines your career, isn't it? And, yeah. and that final against Wasps, the No. 4, followed him around for the rest of his career and no one could forget it. Um, I... I think that's just a pale French rugby, though, isn't it? Just kick the ball out. It's not yeah. hard. Yeah. East Scotland were the beneficiaries last year, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Another fullback, actually, as well, Bruce Land. <laughs> I think I... I can't separate the two, but I've gone with my heart rather than my head for the wingers, and I'll do the same at fullback. Meda gets you out of your seat a bit more, so I'd go with Max Meda. Yeah, can understand that. Well, that is that is our quick fire. Uh, well, I say quick fire. It's hard to it's hard to do this team. Really difficult because, like I mentioned, it's normally we we did an Italian fifteen, and you're picking eight or nine players that have got a hundred caps. Likewise, South Africa, similarly with Wales, and this one you've only got the single one. So our team just run through it quickly: Cyril Bay, Rafael Ibanez, Nicolas Mas, Sebastian Chabal, Fabian Pelouse. Uh, Thierry Dutrois, Serge Betson, Imanola Arenordeki, which I love to say every single time. I don't know if my pronunciation is any good, but I love to say it. It's such a hard name. Uh, Antoine Dupont, Frédéric Michelac, uh, Yannick Josian, Gael Ficou, Christophe Dominici, Vincent Clerc and Maxime Medard. In terms of captain then, um, you know, it's hard to think with so many great players. You've got the likes of Thierry Dutrois, Fabien Pelouse, Imanol Arnaudzaki, uh, Dupont, the current captain, Rafael Ibanez, Serge Betson, I think he even could captain, certainly. Uh, but in terms of fear factor, I'd have to put Fabian Palouse right up there. The fear factor, he he didn't say a lot, but it's one of those where that's what you want off your captain. I think you don't want them chatting in your ear the whole time. You want, if they say something, you're going to listen. And um I suppose I've I've never spoken to Fabian Police, so it, I might be inspired if I ever do. But when speaking to Titi Dustois, he it's just one of those guys, so smart, so intelligent. Degree in chemical engineering, like the guy's got it all. So 
had following Minter Bell, it'd be my choice. Yeah, can completely understand that. And normally, I think this is a debate around coach, but this time I don't think it is because we've spoken so long about the current setup. But I think we've got to have Fabian Gaultier, uh, bug glasses and all, looking as if he's an extra from Bug's life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's you know the, the the job he's currently doing with the French national team is scary. Um, and it's a scary one for Wales this weekend, um, or Friday night, I should say. Friday night under the lights. Uh, look, the, Ooh, la la. yeah, the the one the one thing I'm looking at is it's not meant to be good weather, and I think that's a positive for Wales because we saw how Wales can be quite pragmatic and get through a victory with Dan Bigger's boot against Scotland. Is that? The only route you can possibly see, Tim, I know you mentioned, well, yourself and um, Johnny Beattie on the podcast mentioned that one of the mistakes by Scotland was not kicking enough. Yeah, Johnny was apoplectic, it's fair to say. He, he, he just couldn't understand Scotland's game plan. So, Murray, you can come in on that in a minute. But <laughs> I, I, think, I think Wales will obviously be more pragmatic. They will obviously use the boot more than Scotland did. But it isn't that simple against this France side. I just think that they, if they're on their game, I personally can't see a way that Wales can win. Obviously, the game's not played on paper. France might be off it by 10 15%. And then if Wales are at full capacity, do everything right, who knows? That's sport. That's why we all watch. If we all knew what was going to happen, we wouldn't watch. But I just think if you break it down tactically... I just struggle, you know, if Wales had the best functioning line out in the world, if Alan Wynne Jones was there for his experience, if everything, then maybe you could make the case. But at the moment, I just think Wales aren't going to kick to the corners because I'm not sure they trust their line out enough to yeah. do that. So they will put high balls up. Dan Bigger will kick the ball high and run after it himself. He'll put balls up for his wingers to chase. They'll try and turn France around and they won't play anywhere near as much rugby in their own half as Scotland did. So they, they, it's, I, is that enough to beat this France side? I don't think so because they'll they'll break the game open with one or two counter-attacks and they will play smart rugby. They won't play too much in their own half and they'll... they. I think they will kick to the corners and they will, if the weather's not good, they'll trust their line out. They'll look to maul it and uh, and they look to drive over, and I, I, <laughs> I know I'm disappointing you, but I can't make the case for Wales winning this one. I just can't tactically. I just can't see it. I, you know, the the only the only benefit for the Wales players will be. I think they've been discounted on every round of this championship so far, and probably you know performed well against Scotland and performed well in the second half against England. Um, I think a big thing again, not to not to regurgitate more back at you from your own podcast, but. Um, Wales have struggled at the breakdown this tournament yeah, and that's been well documented by Bigger, by PVAC, by, by everyone in the papers as well um, and 1-15 to 15 in that French t- side can get over the ball and turn it over and that's that's probably the worry for the Welsh side is if they do give it width, how are they going to secure that ball? I know there's talk um, today of a mate of mine, Seb Davis, appearing in that back row at six which might help the might help the line out Um I don't know. I don't know whether it's a reactionary call as opposed to a positive call is my one worry. I think I'd like to personally see, and no offence, Seb, <laughs> hopefully you're not listening, uh, as a former Eskol Gumman Gumman people. Um, but I'd have gone with Basham and Jack Morgan. I think they, 
they offer a bit more positivity, um, both in attack and defence. Um, but I'm I I don't really see a way either. I'd love I'd love to say there's one tactic where you can exploit the French, and I I think possibly in the year is the one weakness we've seen so far this championship. Um, Jaminet obviously not regathering that restart where Mac Hansen scores that beautiful try. Mac Hansen, friend of friend of your pod, Murray. Um, yeah. But Wales haven't been great in the air either this championship. We're particularly poor against England, so I don't see that being a particular area of strength. Uh, Murray, are you going to offer me any chinks of light of hope for weaknesses you saw in that French side two weeks ago? Um, Kicking. Tim mentioned that Johnny went ballistic. Um, when we beat France, or when we historically beat teams, we kick, I think it's 8 to 10% of the time. Mm. When we've got possession, we kicked 3% against France. Yeah. So I don't know why, I don't know why we changed our game plan. Uh, it, it, evidently, it didn't work, whatever we tried to do. <laughs> and I think if we stuck to our guns, it I don't like living in the what if, but I, I, hypothetically, if Scotland did do what Scotland are known for, I think it, the result might have been a bit less of a, a whack. And I wouldn't say we would beat France, but yeah, I mean, that was just, it looked like a training session at the end. Yeah. And it was quite shameful to see. Um, I think you just need to, you've got a good kicking game, especially with the way bigger does his up and unders and is famous for chasing it himself and even winning the majority of them. And then you've got the, I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, you've got the bomb disposalist at the back. Yeah. Um, you give uh, two two people who don't like talking about, but yeah, go on. Liam, Liam obviously <laughs> with his ability in the air. Yeah. And then you're bringing back like the likes of Alex Cuthbert, who was fantastic against England. Tulipi <laughs> Falatau didn't look out of place. Nope. You've got Josh Navidi coming back this week from injury. Hopefully he could do the same. Yeah. It's it starting to turn for Wales. I don't think it's enough. I think I think the issue with France last year is they weren't the final they, they weren't finished. There wasn't the finished article. Yeah. And whatever Fabian Galti was not happy with last year's performances, I mean it's majority of it's the same team anyway. I think they've clamped down, maybe even over the summer with the big guns away on their tour to Australia. They've clamped down on the netty gritty stuff, brought it all together in the autumn, and now they're just, it's just common knowledge. It's textbook. It's almost like just, it's just, it's just easy now for them. They know what to do, they're, they're not making many mistakes. Every week I do like, players to watch and it's, it's all of them yeah yeah I... Baye Marshawn Wookie Aldry in the front and the and the forwards you've got DuPont obviously world player of the year you've got Intermac who I know you say he's got the easiest job <laughs> but he, he does a lot more than than first realised Pierre Fiku possibly the best centre in the world Damien Pinot <laughs> <laughs> um, prolific uh, try scorer uh, I thought it was Matthew Jaminet, but it's, uh, it's Melvin Jaminet. Um, they've they've got good off the tee for the most part. It's a whole team. Like there's there is no 
there's no blip no. in that. Like, there's no um, like proper worrying in that French team. Yeah. And that's... Even when you, off the bet, like, the Scotland game for me especially, like, when it came up, uh, Malvaca was coming on and Marchand was coming off. I'm like, Jesus, like, it's not... That's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's scary. It is really, really scary. And, you know, I, I was listening to your podcast again, Tim, last week, and you spoke about the summer and you asking Benji about what would you do in the summer? Would you rest players and try and build depth? And I thought, what depth? What more depth could you yeah. possibly need? <laughs> you know, you, you rested a bunch of players well, on a tour to Australia. Players in every position, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know... <laughs> Is is that is that the plan? Is what what is the future for France? You know, you look at well, first of all, immediate future. Assuming they win in Cardiff, as we've pretty much stated here, um, how do you see that game going in a week's time against England? And then, what's the future after that? Well, no, Benji's afraid about the England game. Yeah. Um, I. I wish we could have this conversation on Monday because I think a lot will depend on what happens at the weekend. I think there's every chance England lose to Ireland, as we all know. Yeah. And then I think, you know, they're going there with a one-off game and they'll want to spoil the party, but will the motivation really be there? And I think that in sport, that, that you know, if, if England know they can win the title in France, that's going to be a hell of a game. Yeah. If they, if they don't, then... Whilst I think they'll put up a fight and they'll want to spoil the party, I just I can't see if France have won in Cardiff. I can't see how France don't win it. Um, and it's obvious on paper France are a better side than England at the moment. They're a better side than Ireland, and they're the I think it's fair to say the top three sides in the in the competition. Um, what's next for France? I think like we've spoken about it quite a lot on the on the podcast, and it, you know you get a slightly different viewpoint from Benji and from Johnny, but. I think everyone's agreed now they, they have to get this over the line by hook or by crook and they're going to be tested in different ways in the next two weeks um, and they've just got to do whatever it takes to win. Um, but they are... It's, it's interesting when we talk about selection for the Wales game. They France know what they're going to do. There's no, going to be no surprises there. Wales have chopped and changed constantly throughout. And you picked Seb Davis was a wild card to me. I did not see that coming in the back in the no, back row, no. whether it happens or not. Yeah. But you, you, I can see the, I can see the logic behind it. Yeah. But almost, almost like you said, you give with one hand, you take away with the other. You, you know, if you're trying to solve the line out issues, great. But then you are going to lose something in another area. Whereas France don't have that and. The bench is going to be a huge thing, as it as it always is for France. So, what happens in the future? I think the the only question mark, if you're looking for one, is that they haven't won the tournament for twelve years. Like the the mental side of things, as you get deeper and deeper into the tournament, um, they've shown absolutely no signs of that that is going to be an issue for them. But until they've done it, it's something that people in the media can always go to and say, you know, prove it, and. Yeah. Um, I think they'll do it, but at the moment, that's that's the only question mark I've got. <laughs> the rest of it, they're they're ticking every box. 
I think you you mentioned it earlier about Antoine Dupont. No one's managed to get under his skin. If there is one man to do that, I think Maro Otoji would be that man, probably. <laughs> the, 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 the way he hassles nines uh, up and down the country. Um, thanks so much, for both of you, for coming on. Uh, thanks so much, Tim. A quick plug for, for yourself, Tim, for the for the podcast. I think you, you had a special guest on last night, uh, a, a Welshman. Absolutely, you'll enjoy this one. Mike Phillips is on, so yeah. um, a story or two from him. So yeah, <laughs> catch that this week. Um, and yeah, particularly his time in Bayern and, and Racing. Obviously, you talk about the Wales game, but um, yeah, a man who doesn't lack confidence and um, his view on, on Antoine Dupont is obviously um, an informed one. And and um, what else is there? Yeah, there's there's a lot he can't say about his time in, <laughs> in France for legal, legal reasons, <laughs> but... Um, what he did after say was good. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to. I'd love to ask Mike if he would back himself over Dupont in a twenty in a in a match day fifteen. I think. I think even he might have to. <laughs> this is sort of a step down and say Dupont is 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 above him. Um, Murray and for yourselves on the Rugby Connection podcast, have you got an interview this coming out this week? We've got an interview. We've got an interview recording this week and an interview coming out this week. It's not the same one, and <laughs> um, we're a bit backlogged just because we had a extended break after after Christmas so we're trying to just catch up on all that um, coming out this week is our interview with Kyle Rowe with, uh, from London Irish and potentially Scotland he is in the camp but yet to be capped as as we're speaking could still happen um, yeah that was a great chat and Wednesday morning I'm interviewing Sean Maloney famously over here for Rugby HQ top ironic that Blissful Rugby HQ's <laughs> interviewing a man from Rugby HQ so there you go um, no that's going to be an absolute blast I'm looking very much looking forward to that one and maybe even try and get a fresh top five off Sean <laughs> do you want to do your Sean Maloney impression that you gave to me before no. this pod <laughs> yeah no. probably probably best not um, uh, thanks so much for both of you for coming no, on no. cheers guys yeah